This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado, The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast for the Las Vegas Review Journal. Talks about hockey and the NHL draft, uh, because that is what we're here to do today. Take you through the Golden Knights 2020 draft class, everything that went down over the previous two days, and what that sets up for the Golden Knights moving forward. I am Ben Goats, one of your Review Journal Golden Knights beat writers, joining me. On the other line, from Bill Foley's luscious Montana Ranch, is my colleague Dave Shane. Dave, how's the scenery out there? Oh, it's gorgeous. I mean, now I know why they call it Big Sky Country. Uh, I just feel like I need some cowboy boots, a hat, and I'll be ready to go. There you go. Well, Dave is out there, as I mentioned, at Golden Knights owner Bill Foley's sprawling ranch because that is where the Golden Knights are as they conducted. The NHL draft the, the past two days we're recording this on Wednesday night, which is the second day of the draft and the final day. And we're going to take you through, as I said, the picks that the Golden Knights made, why they made those selections and what that means for the organization moving forward. First, I want to remind everyone that the Golden Edge podcast is presented by DoorDash and FavoriteDrinkOfFavor.com. Also, check out all our written work at ReviewJournal.com, and if you could rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcasts, please do this one. We would very much appreciate it. Well, as I mentioned, the 2020 NHL Draft is in the books. It was virtual. It was long, excruciatingly long at times, but ultimately, it did get done. The Knights made six selections. We will go over some in more details than others, but to give you guys a quick recap, on day one, the Knights took center slash left wing Brendan Brisson with the 29th overall pick. Brisson is a freshman at Michigan. He actually had his draft party at the Big House, their football stadium. Uh, and you might have heard his name before, and that's because his dad, Pat Brisson, is basically one of the true power brokers in the NHL. He is one of the highest earning agents in the league. His clients, his clients include people you might have heard of, like Sidney Crosby, John Tavares, Nathan McKinnon, Patrick Kane, and, by the way, Golden Knights' Jonathan Marcheseau and Nicholas Waugh. 
Uh, so that was the guy they took on day one. Uh, day two, which is today, the Knights took offensive defenseman Lucas Cormier out of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League at 68. The Knights then had 91, which was also a third-round pick. They actually, kind of in their pre-draft strategy meetings, discussed trading back from that pick in order to uh, get a kind of mid-round pick. But they actually valued speedy left-wing Jackson Hollum from St. Thomas Academy, which is a middle Minnesota high school, uh, so highly that they just stayed put at 91 and took him. And then, since they didn't do that trade back to try to recoup a kind of more mid-round pick because the Knights didn't have a fourth or fifth round pick coming into this draft, uh, they ended up giving up a 2022 fourth round pick to get the 125th overall selection. It was the first pick of the fifth round. And they took Swedish goaltender Jesper Vickman, who was a guy that uh, general manager Kelly McCrimmon said they were really targeting coming into the draft. Uh, then with their final two selections, the Knights took defenseman Noah Ellis from Iowa in the sixth round, 184th overall. And finally, they took Russian center Maxim Marashev at 215th. So those are the Golden Knights' six picks. We're not going to go through all six of them in excruciating detail, but obviously we have to talk about Brandon Brisson a little bit. The Knights' uh, first-round pick, he is the fifth first-round pick in the team's history, and he is the fourth forward out of those five first-round picks. Um, Dave, you know, as the first round of the draft was kind of playing out, obviously the Knights don't have a ton of control over who's going to fall to them. They're picking 29th at the end of the first round. But overall, how do you think the first day kind of played out in front of them? And what do you think, uh, you know, the value they ultimately got selecting Brisson? I mean, without, I guess, maybe sounding like I'm a member of the front office, I don't think it could have gone any better for him to be quite honest. And I think they almost kind of said as much, uh, to be frank. I mean, without, you know, identifying the exact players, Kelly McCrimmon and Bob Lowe's both told me that there were a couple players that clearly they had ranked, you know, lower on their board that went, you know, in the twenties, uh, Again, they didn't mention it by name, but I think you can point it. Uh, I think it's Shakir Makamadulin, if I get that right, who's a defenseman from New Jersey. And then right after him, Columbus took, uh, I believe, Yegor Chinikov, I think is his name, uh, a Russian who was actually an overager. So what that actually kind of did at that point was bump a few guys down uh, that maybe weren't expected to be there originally. I know when I had looked at, you know, all the mock drafts and rankings and kind of had come up with, with essentially like a composite ranking to see where everybody sort of was projected to fall. But Bersan was not supposed to be there at 29. He was supposed to go, you know, potentially in the, in the low to mid 20s, maybe even earlier. He was a, he was a, a quick riser, you know, last year. I mean, everybody obviously knows about him because of his dad. But last year he took a big jump. He played on, a, on an elite uh, team in the U.S. Uh, Hockey League uh, and was their leading scorer, second in the league. And rookie of the year, I mean, essentially the thing with this is that a high-skilled guy like him does not usually fall and is not available at the end of the first round. So for the Knights to not have to move up, to not have to give anything up, and to get a high skill guy that, you know, they can they can let develop and, and let grow at Michigan. There's not going to be any rush. They hold his rights for four years so they can they can let him grow, continue to improve, you know, and all those sorts of things. I, I mean, I think 
it'll be an interesting comparison. The one guy that stood out on the board at the time was Maverick Bork. And he went right after the Knights took Brisson. So, you know, I think it'll be a natural comparison just to maybe, you know, see those two. And you would hope if you're a Knights fan that Maverick Bork doesn't turn into a superstar, you know, or something like that that they missed out on. But again, just kind of to circle back, all things considered, I'm not sure it could have gone any better for him. Yeah, as you mentioned, I mean, Brisson kind of coming into the draft was, I think, mainly projected in like the low 20s. Interesting thing about... You know, this draft, I think, is that beauty was definitely in the eye of the beholder for, you know, a lot of uh, players in this draft. There definitely seemed to be a drop off once you kind of got past the first 12 or so picks. You know, a lot of guys were kind of clumped together in the next tier. Uh, But from what, uh, as you mentioned, general manager Kelly McCrimmon and uh, Bob Lowe's, one of their chief personnel guys, said after the draft, he's a guy that they really had rated highly. And one thing that I thought uh, Bob Lowe's told you, Dave, that he was quite candid about is, you know, uh, frankly, Brendan Brisson was not that good uh, even a couple years ago. I mean, you look at kind of some of the youth leagues that he was involved with. He was not necessarily a standout player until a couple years ago, basically two years ago, where, you know, since then he's really, really taken off where, uh, you know, 2018, 2019 season at Shattuck St. Mary's, which is kind of a huge hockey prep school in Minnesota. All of a sudden he's basically almost a two point per game kind of guy. You know, then you mentioned this past season and the USHL with the Chicago steel, he has 59 points in 45 games, including uh, 24 goals. I mean, it seems like his skills have developed a lot. His shot has gotten a lot better. One thing that's really sticks out uh, with him is that he's got an incredible one timer that could become a real weapon on the power play. So it sounds like the Knights are not just excited about the player that they're drafting right now, but the fact that they think because he's come along so far in the past two years, they're excited about where he can go in in the next couple of years as well, especially because, as you mentioned, Dave, he's going to uh, a pretty good college hockey program in Michigan. Uh, There's quite a few pro players, including, obviously, uh, Kelly McCrimmon uh, went there, and then Max Pacioretty, uh, one of the Golden Knights' current standout players is a Michigan guy as well. Yeah, let me let me go back. I want to correct one thing, and I'll throw my Wisconsin plug in here. Brendan Brisson was the second leading scorer on his team, and in the USHL, Matthew de Saint Fall, who was headed to Wisconsin, had one more point than he did. So let me correct that uh, and just kind of clarify there. Not a big deal, but you know, one of the things I heard on TV, and I don't remember who said it, and I thought it was a great analogy is there are certain teams that shop for green bananas and there are other ones that want the ripe ones right away. The Knights shop for green bananas. They want things to develop. They want, you know, the scouting term is projectability. They don't want a ready-made product. They want somebody who's, you know, still got room to, you know, to develop, continue to improve, to grow, get stronger, get faster, all those sorts of things. They don't necessarily look at somebody who's 18 and say, okay, well, what's he going to do right now? It's three, four years down the road. And I think that path that you described you know, that Bob Lowe said, you know, he was a good player, but he wasn't a special player a couple of years ago. And he continued to improve in his, his track is, uh, you know, he's trending upward, all those sorts of things. And, and I, I think ultimately that's what the Knights were attracted to that they've seen the development the last couple of years and that they feel like there's more in there ultimately. And, and again, you know, here's the other thing too, you mentioned Michigan in, in the past, what they have, but it's also relevant to mention he is part of an absolutely loaded recruiting class. They have Owen Power, who is a defenseman, who potentially could be the number one overall pick next year. 
Uh, I believe his name is Kent Johnson, who's a forward who's projected as like a top five pick. They had a major, you know, big time recruiting class last year with players. So he's going to be up there in Ann Arbor playing with skilled players. It's not like he's going to have to carry the team and, and do all those sorts of things. It's going to be, you know, a perfect spot for his development. And again, like I mentioned, Knights retain his rights for essentially his entire college career. So there's no rush. They're not going to have to worry about, is he, you know, leaving school? Can we sign him? Can we not sign him? We have to make a decision in a year or two. Nothing like that is happening. It's, you know, they can take their time. There's no rush. And, you know, like I said, it, it's, it's kind of the perfect, it's exactly what the Knights like. They, they, those, those types of players are what they target and to have one be available at, at 29. I mean, to be quite honest, I don't know what was going on in the war room. I'm surprised it took him that long to make the pick, to be perfectly frank. I mean, it seemed like he was the one guy, if they had him ranked in the top half of the draft, you know, that they would have been all over. But, you know, ultimately they end up with him. Yeah, they got to milk that clock a little bit for <laughs> TV. And so that, of course, was the night's uh, day one pick because only the first round took place on Tuesday. Then today, Wednesday, the other six rounds took place, rounds two through seven. As I previously kind of went through, the Knights made uh, five selections today on day two. And basically out of those guys, Dave, is there one that uh, really sticks out to you? One that you're definitely going to have your eye on moving forward here? So there's actually two. Uh, one of them is the Jackson Hallam kid. And the reason for that is just he's he's in a different, a little bit different situation than a lot of kids. So what I mean by that is he was drafted after his junior year of high school at St. Thomas Academy. So he is actually back there right now for his, what you know Canadians call grade 12 um, for his senior year, which, you know, I guess in most cases, kids are drafted after their senior year. So he's on a little bit different of a track where he's kind of, you know, got to figure out right now is the Minnesota high school season going on. There was talk it, you know, that might have like an 18 or 20 game schedule, but maybe not a state tournament and all those sorts of things. So he's got the option to go to the USHL play for the green Bay gamblers. And then right now he's committed to Michigan, but not scheduled to arrive for the 2022 season. So he's got two more years here where he's got to kind of fill in and continue to develop what I think will probably happen is that if and when he gets to Green Bay and does well, that Michigan would probably accelerate his, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, admission, I guess, and, and get him in there a year early rather than waiting till 2022. But it's just kind of an interesting, different track. I mean, he's a kid, you know, obviously, Ben, you're familiar with St. Thomas Academy. And, you know, there were maybe some other high profile, you know, high school kids in Minnesota that had higher rankings. You know, but one of the things is Jackson Helm went back and he's playing in the Minnesota Elite League and he's done really well. And, and one of the things that we've heard and saw throughout the draft was some of the European players and players in like Quebec and these leagues that have been back and scouts have had a chance to kind of take a peek at them. You know, you mentioned the Knights were thinking about moving down, but at the time they didn't have a, they, they didn't have a pick until the sixth round. And essentially they didn't think Jackson Helm was going to be there in the sixth round. So they adjusted, took him then, and then, and then made their move for, for Vickman. So I think it's just kind of an interesting, you know, track that he's on. I think it's a little different. And then the other one is Noah Ellis. Um, first, for several reasons. One, obviously being from Iowa, there's only four players from Iowa that have ever made the NHL. Obviously it's not a hockey hotbed, um, but he's kind of an interesting case because he played in that Klinka Gretzky tournament and, according to Bob Lowe's was one of the best defensemen, if not the best defenseman 
for Team USA at that tournament, that that tournament draws all sorts of top prospects um, who are draft eligible. So for him to stand out against other top players was a big, you know, feather in his cap. I guess sort of what happened is he went back to juniors and and maybe had a little bit of you know ups and downs. If you go through, you know, whatever Central Scouting Bureau and, and their rankings, he went from like I think one twenty three or something like that at the midterm to in the two hundreds for the final rankings. So it'll be interesting to kind of see his progress as he goes along. He's expected to play uh, juniors in the USHL for one more year and then head to the University of Massachusetts, which produced Kale McCarr. And I'm not saying this kid's going to be Kale McCarr, but it'll just be interesting to kind of track his progress and see, okay. Is he the player that he was at that Klinka tournament, the Klinka Gretzky tournament, excuse me, you know, or is he the one that maybe struggled a little bit, you know, in the USHL and that's why he fell to the sixth round. So, you know, for me, those are the two that just kind of jumped out immediately is, is, you know, guys that I kind of want to see over the next few years and, and, and sort of see what happens. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. You've counted on restaurants. Now, they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, Choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees in your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. I would just like to point out that we've talked about three of the night's draft picks so far, and it's been the three that will play college hockey in the U.S., so the two of us might have some slight biases, Dave. Uh, with our Big Ten <laughs> college hockey schools that we uh, both enjoy watching. Uh, so I'll change it up a bit. And uh, Before we change the subject, mention that a guy that I definitely want to keep my eye on is the goalie, uh, Jasper Vinkman. Just because it was interesting to hear Kelly McCrimmon and Bob Lowe's talk so candidly about, like, this is a guy that we were targeting. This is the goalie we wanted, basically. And they went out and got him. And it's the basically the second highest they've ever drafted a goaltender they drafted a goalie in the fourth round of their inaugural draft in 2017 they actually didn't end up signing to a professional contract so obviously they hope that Vickman uh, turns out a little bit better than that but obviously he's got good size at six foot three Bob Lowe's mentioned that he's a guy that they think is still going to fill out um, in terms of his weight because he's only about 180 pounds but they like his athleticism they like the way he moves in the crease, so those things are all uh, intriguing to me. And the thing about uh, goaltenders is, despite the fact that we had a first-round goalie this year, which is pretty exciting, uh, you can kind of find goalies anywhere in the draft. I mean, it's a position that just develops late. 
I mean, we always hear about how defensemen take longer to develop than forwards. Well, goalies take even way longer than that. They can take many, many years before they are ready to debut in the NHL. Uh, but fifth-round goalies have worked out before. Uh, Ryan Miller, who's had a long and distinguished career, uh, is actually currently uh, a free agent uh, after he's played with the Anaheim Ducks for a really long time, was taken in the fifth round. And the reigning Vesna Trophy winner, Connor, Hel- Connor Hellebuck, was also selected in the fifth round. Obviously, I am not putting that kind of expectation on just Bervikman, but I think he's definitely a guy to keep an eye on just because it seems like the Knights specifically were looking at him, and he certainly seems to have the tools to be a good goaltender if he can ultimately harness those tools down the road. So that was the 2020 NHL draft for the night. Stay tuned for the next, you know, three years to see how all of these picks that we just talked about turn out because all of these guys are going to need time to reach the NHL. Uh, But other things happened during the past couple days, too. Uh, In other news today, the Knights signed Chandler Stevenson to a four-year, $11 million contract. So he was kind of their biggest restricted free agent of the offseason. And now he's back before the market's kind of officially open. They didn't even have to give him a qualifying offer or go to arbitration. They just locked him up. Uh, Perhaps more interestingly, the nice kind of other major restricted free agent, Nick Cousins, uh, was not given a qualifying offer. He was basically cut loose by the Knights. Uh, The Knights basically will let him become an unrestricted free agent when the market opens on Friday. And then quick housekeeping, the Knights did give qualifying offers to uh, Keegan Colasar, Reed Duke, and Jimmy Schultz, all guys who are on their postseason taxi squad. Uh, So it makes sense that they are, you know, going to kind of have their rights retained for now. Uh, The Knights did not give one to defenseman Brett Lernout. He was uh, part of the Chicago Wolves last season. Uh, The Knights also re-signed Gage Quinney, who, of course, was the first Nevada-born player to make his NHL debut when he debuted for the Knights. He played in three games this year was also a part of that postseason taxi squad. Um, so there's that bit of housekeeping. But obviously the headline items are, one, Chandler Stevenson resigns, and two, uh, Nick Cousins is basically cut loose. Uh, General Manager Kelly McCrimmon did not kind of close the door on bringing Nick Cousins back. But obviously the Knights are now at risk of kind of having him leave on the open market. And Dave, you know, we've obviously been talking about kind of both these guys for a while, and you definitely have had uh, what I would describe, I guess, as a funny feeling about Cousins the last few weeks. You were definitely not 100% sure that he would be brought back. So ultimately, why do you think the Knights are letting him test the market here? Yeah, I think it's just money. I think it's the cap and, and their crunch and, you know, that that they're trying to clear space. Obviously, right now, they're, you know, close to like $3 million over the the $81.5 million cap, they're allowed to go 10% over that cap uh, during the off season. So it's not like there's an issue in that sense, but I guess maybe the the hurdle or, or where the problem is and, and maybe why Nick Cousins was squeezed out is, I mean, obviously you have to get below that, but if the Knights are going to do anything in free agency on Friday, and if they're going to take a big swing at somebody and, you know, we've talked about Alex Petrangelo, if, if big, if, you know, he gets to free agency, uh, and all those sorts of things, you know, uh, you just, it, I mean, what would Nick Cousins cost? I mean, like his qualifying offer is a million. Maybe he gets, you know, a bump up to like 1.5 or two. But, you know, for the Knights who every penny counts right now. And so 
for them to be able to try to do what they want to do, I think the fact that they didn't qualify Nick Cousins is very telling because I think it, it, it shows kind of where they're at in terms of clearing space and clearing money and trying to do other things that they're not content with the roster that they have right now and that they're going to look to improve in free agency or maybe a trade or, or all those sorts of things. So the fact that, you know, again, you, you mentioned that Kelly McCream didn't rule it out. They could circle back. Uh, certainly a person familiar with the situation indicated that to me as well, that, you know, the Knights, depending on where the money stands and, and if he's available and where they're at in a few days here, that maybe something could get worked out. But again, I just think right now it's a money thing. There just wasn't room, you know, to, to have somebody that's maybe making, you know, 1.5 or, you know, potentially a little bit more than that when they're trying to do other things. And, you know, it, it's, it was interesting or maybe a little bit of surprise to me because I asked Kelly McCrimmon about it the other day and his answer seemed to kind of indicate, obviously he didn't come right out and say it, but he was effusive in his praise of obviously Chandler Stevenson, but also Nick Cousins. And he certainly kind of gave off the vibe or the indication that they were going to make a qualifying offer to him. So to have it not come through for them to not tender him that, and then, you know, to kind of read between the lines and, and interpret that, I guess, for, for the bigger picture and what that means for the salary cap and what they're trying to do with the roster. I mean, it's pretty telling. It's interesting. Was, uh, was not something I maybe expected uh, a couple days ago. But, you know, again, maybe there was some signs, maybe just the fact that, you know, a, a, an offer hadn't come in a few days ago. You figure if they were going to do something, it would have been handled. You know, a couple red flags there. But, you know, again, I mean, it's a business. It's tough. And if you look around the NHL, there was, you know, Kelly McCrimmon mentioned this. There was a lot of guys that, that maybe you thought would get qualifying offers that didn't. So it kind of changes the landscape for free agency all around. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, going forward on Friday, how teams sort of attack that. No, for sure. There's a lot of guys that kind of uh, flooded the market that people weren't expecting. So Chandler Stevenson is definitely not alone in being a semi-surprising, uh, you know, non-tender guy. Anthony Duclair of the Ottawa Senators, who had 20-plus uh, goals last year, is certainly one of those guys. Uh, Dominic Cahoon. Of the Sabres, you know, that's his latest stop, was certainly a surprising guy that also was non-tendered. I mean, it's happening around the league in terms of, you know, a cap crunch forcing teams to make difficult decisions. The Knights are just in a more, you know, depending on your perspective, precarious position than most just because they are currently over the cap. As you said, Dave, they're approximately $2.8 million over the salary cap as things stand today. And they are a Stanley Cup contender. But as you also mentioned, want to get better and want to push to ultimately lift the cup the next time the postseason rolls around. And so to do that, they are still working to move money. They have still not moved money off of their NHL roster yet, basically, because, you know, Chan or Nick Cousins, even though they cut him loose, he was not on their books for next year. So they're not necessarily saving money by not tendering him a qualifying offer. They're just not spending more money. So we still haven't heard uh, anything in terms of a deal for Marc-Andre Fleury, which, of course, is kind of the number one guy uh, that sits atop the Knights' you know, potential trade list. Right now, he's got his $7 million cap hit, and moving that would alleviate a lot of kind of the Knights' money issues. 
depending on who they go out and get. I mean, and Alex Petrangelo is certainly a name that's been bandied about a little bit. That could certainly make one of their defensemen expendable. We've also talked about Paul Stasny just because he's on an expiring contract uh, that's worth $6.5 million. So that could be one guy that the Knights could potentially move as well. Uh, But so far, they haven't uh, moved anyone. And the trade market, you know, still isn't really chugging along yet. We saw Matt Murray of the Pittsburgh Penguins be one goaltender that got traded today. Uh, The Minnesota Wild and the Nashville Predators also executed a trade today, but it was kind of exchanging of third-line players and draft picks. So, you know, no real huge blockbusters to speak of yet. There are some moves happening, but not a ton. And the Knights do need things to kind of move along because they do want to move money along with like two-thirds of the league, we should say. But they are kind of, you know, top of the list probably along with the Tampa Bay Lightning of teams that really do need to move money. Um, so really, Dave, I mean, just question is, what do you think the Knights are kind of trying to do behind the scenes here as we barrel towards Friday and the opening of free agency so that they could be in position to do something? You know, and I'm also curious, you know, if you think they're going to have to maybe recalibrate their expectations of what this offseason is going to look like at some point, because it does seem like it's going to be difficult for them to move off of some of these contracts. So I'll answer the second question first in that I don't think they're going to have to recalibrate. And the only reason I say that is because, you know, if there's one thing that this organization has shown, they're going to be aggressive and they're going to go for it. So I, I think if they have a plan in mind and it's a, it's a go for it kind of plan, they're going to do everything they can to execute that. And I think, again, to circle back a little bit to the Nick Cousins thing, I think that's all, you know, kind of part of it. I think, you know, I mean, okay. The, it's not easy, obviously, to trade Mark Andre Fleury because of the salary, because of all these other things. I mean, we've heard, you know, in the last couple of days, umpteen different things of, you know, they're trying to give, you know, a second or whatever for this thing. Then we've heard it's got to be two seconds. And then we've heard they're looking for, you know, teams are looking for a first and it's got to be like 33% retention. But like, there's been so many just, you know, I don't want to call them outlandish, but just rumors or whatever out there swirling about what teams are asking for and what it's going to take, I guess, for Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, to be traded. But, you know, we talked about salary cap. They're 2.8 million. If, if you're, I mean, and clearly they have Robin Leonard and they're going to, you know, probably try to find the serviceable backup. Well, if you're able to trade Marc-Andre Fleury, then you're fine. You're like you're way under the salary cap and you don't have to worry about anything. And, you know, maybe you can add, you know, a little bit on the fringes. But we keep hearing about these big swings and we keep hearing about them trying to clear money and do all these other things and not tendering Nick Cousins and, and you know, all of that. And so it just makes me think behind the scenes that they're still trying to be aggressive and they're still trying to do all of the things to clear room to go after Petrangelo if if he's available. Or, I mean, this is the other thing too that was floated, but I don't remember which insider, but, you know, the Tampa Bay Lightning apparently had said that four players were untouchable. Victor Hedman, Andre Vasilevsky, Braden Point, and Nikita Kucherov. The obvious omission from that is Steven Stamkos. And again, the Golden Knights have popped up potentially in connection with him. Obviously, that would have to be a trade. That would be a major blockbuster move and all, you know. I think basically what I'm kind of where I'm kind of going with all this is if the Knights are going to do those types of things, 
that behind the scenes right now, they're working the phone lines and they're trying to clear out Flurry and they're probably trying to clear out another contract as well. Whether that's Stasny, you know, whether that's you know a defenseman, um, if they're able to sign another defenseman and and you know Martinez and his salary goes, Nate Schmidt's name has been floated out there in the you know in the trade rumor world. So any number of things could happen, but clearly I think the fundamental thing that the Golden Knights are trying to do is clear room on their roster and on their salary cap to go after somebody who's a big ticket item because otherwise, you know, they're, they're close to that, to that ceiling. And I don't think it would be that hard for them to knock, you know, 2.8 million out, you know, here or there, but that just doesn't seem like what they're trying to do. They're trying to knock out a whole bunch of salary so that they can make some, some major trades, major signings, whatever it might be to, to upgrade this team. Yeah. It'll be really interesting to see what they're ultimately able to do because you know there's no real deadline for them to move on from some of this money outside of of course the start of next season whenever that is we don't even know when that necessarily is but there are some kind of unofficial deadlines coming up friday as i mentioned is the opening of free agency it officially begins at 9 a.m pacific time So we'll see if the Knights are able to either move money tomorrow before the opening of free agency, if they're able to move money on Friday. That will at least uh, let them get in on some of these free agent discussions or let them tell, you know, maybe Alex Petrangelo's agent or someone of that ilk, like, hey, don't sign with that other team yet. We have something in the works. We want to get in the mix. Um, We'll see. But, uh, you know, the draft is oftentimes... When a lot of these things get done, obviously this year's draft was much different for a lot of reasons. And so we'll see if more things are able to get done in the coming days, because not only the Golden Knights, but a lot of other NHL teams are trying to get better and are trying to operate under the restrictions of the flat salary cap. And it's kind of going to be fascinating to see the machinations that occur in the following days. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Golden Edge podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed the draft recap and the free agency discussions. We'll, of course, uh, be back as soon as we can be once the free agent waters cool and we have an idea of uh, what the Golden Knights have or have not done and which contracts they may or may not have moved. Uh, But until then, I will just remind you guys that the Golden Edge podcast is presented by DoorDash and FavorDrinkAFavor.com. Also, please check out all our written work at ReviewJournal.com. We've got three stories on the draft uh, today, and that's just the second day of the draft. Dave also had a really good story kind of breaking down what to expect from Golden Knights first-round pick, Brendan Brisson, on Tuesday night. Um, And then, of course, if you guys could rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcasts, please do to this one. It would be very much appreciated. Uh, I'm Ben Goats. That's Dave Shane relaxing out in Montana. We are the Golden Edge Podcast. We'll talk to you guys again real soon. They say a healthy gut means a healthy you. Favor apple cider vinegar shots. Bottle this feeling into the convenience of a two-ounce shot. Better digestion, stronger immune system, and the lowering of blood sugar levels are just some of the benefits to shooting a daily favor shot. Their proprietary blends are raw and organic, 
and mixed with other functional ingredients to create a better tasting experience. First time shooters can go to drinkafavor.com. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.